Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writer's Block Podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. Tonight's episode brought to you by Table Pads. You've got a beautiful table. Don't you want to keep it that way? Oh, you're in for a good one, Blockheads. Rebecca Drysdale is our guest. She's a writer for the truly hilarious Key and Peel show on Comedy Central, our first Key and Peel writer. I'm very excited about it. Rebecca has had a very show-busy life. She got started early in performing and writing and knew what she wanted to do. She chased it, she got it, lost it, got it back. I'm simplifying here, but you get the idea. She'll fill in the blanks, including her experience attending Sarah Lawrence College, where she spent a good portion of her time sitting around with her roommate teaching themselves how to improvise, which could end up being a waste of time. But in this case, her roommate happened to be Jordan Peele, so good choice. She and Jordan soon left Sarah Lawrence for the strong winds of Chicago, where they began writing because that's what you do, right? We wrote a sketch show and then another one. And uh, we, you know, that's probably the most sunk in my teeth have ever been into like a project. Because part of it was like, we're going to show them. You know, we're going to do a show. We're going to set the world on their ear. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we're going to like. Set this town on fire. Yeah, totally. Chicago. No, wait, not that kind of fire. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. It's not again. You can't say that in Chicago. (laughs) Um, And we did. And it was awesome. And, you know, we didn't have this sense of like, who the hell do you think we are? We just did it. We just did it. What better reason to do something? Rebecca tells us about the day-to-day operations over at Key Peel, but we start, as usual, with her origin story, which is a fascinating tale of a young, would-be performer traveling the land in search of a dream, which sounds like a silly fairy tale, but in this case is surprisingly close to the truth. So let's get to it. This is episode 36. My guest is Rebecca Drysdale. I'm J.R. Havlin. You're part of the writer's block now. Good choice. So we'll get started. I'm here in a like in Rebecca Drysdale's compound, the Drysdale compound. Yep. Explain what's happening right here. Um, well, the this is I don't really know. We there's <laughs> this front house, and then this is the back house. But is this the is this the owner of that house? Our landlord owns this house and that house. And when we came to see it, we didn't realize that this building was yeah. also a part of it, um, which doesn't make sense. Uh, when there's only audio, but basically there's yeah. there's a house, and then across from the house uh, there's a it's yard, like a row and of then what there's looks like, like yeah hotel cabins. Rooms. Yeah, it's cabin, like a yeah, summer it's like, camp. Yeah, it is like a summer um, camp. And I think uh, in here was a photo studio. There was like a, yeah. a dark room in here. That's why there's this big long sink under that thing. Right. And there's water and stuff. And then the behind oh, it, okay, I think there was okay. a pottery studio. So I guess wow. at some point somebody built these as art studios. And now one of them is our guest room and one is my office. And uh, yeah, it's sort of like our little, yeah, it's like a compound. Pretty sweet. Um, so we kind of were like, well, take it. it. And we didn't even really know what we were going to do with them. <laughs> uh, and then we have this other little shed over here that just has like bikes in it we just yeah yeah but, but it was that. part of moving from new york you know and having like space and rooms and like different areas and like instead of a studio apartment yeah well with we a, had a, a we were lucky bed. yeah we were lucky we had a great i had a great apartment in new york that was like a big sort of loft in chelsea that was the kind of apartment that you see in tv shows and i'm really? like where you had, is like, that the friends apartment well it was like a big s- rectangle it was like a big thousands of her foot loft in the middle of chelsea with like drop tin ceilings and exposed piping like i loved it, it was right, perfect right, right. but it was it, it was one of those apartments that you see in tv shows and are like well that's not real that's not um <laughs> that particularly that person yeah that person can't that, live there yeah an improv teacher i don't think so <laughs> uh but somehow I, I ran on my little improv school out of i divided it and a third of it was uh, a classroom i think i have a a house and apartment finding superpower oh you do i do that that you don't even know how to control it appears it's out of my control (laughs) yeah (laughs) it takes a lot of responsibility to use it um yeah i've always just been very very lucky with that and have been able to find those places that people are like how where did this come from so yeah um 
Rebecca is a, uh, a staff writer for a fantastic Comedy Central show, Key and Peel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should reveal. Yeah, that let's I have, not I keep worked, this. I worked a with. Yeah, no, everybody's wondering like, why are these two even talking? There's got to be something this else happening something. going on. <laughs> we, I worked for many years with the uh, um, with Rebecca's uh, brother um, Eric, who worked with me the at the Dries. show, The Dries. So I uh, knew that uh, Rebecca was uh, working at uh, Key & Peele and wanted to talk to you about that and was fascinated also by her background that we'll get into, which is uh, a lot of improv and uh, um, and really uh, a lot of little awardy type of things. Yeah, there was a good little pocket in stuff. there. Yeah. I had a little, a, little, a little success pocket that then led to not a happy time and so i'm glad i'm past that yeah um but we'll, we'll concentrate on that time great that yeah let's time. focus on that i really would like to get go hard into that well did you guys grow up in new york no we grew up we moved around a lot okay. um i was born in ohio and we moved from ohio when i was five five when i was five o'clock i almost said yeah about five, when, five, at five, about five, five o'clock we moved to versailles in france which to me at the time that was, was be just my second guess. banana. Like I just, I my my answer to when my parents told me we were moving to France was what's a France? Like I had no, you know, no concept of that. And we moved from Akron, Ohio to Versailles, and I was afraid to go outside because I was afraid the buildings were going to fall down. Because they're so, old. they're so tall. How can they not? And well, or tall. Oh, okay. They had more than a story. So to uh-huh. me, it was like, you know, a skyscraper. Um, and so we were in Ohio, where there are four Jews. And then we were in Versailles. And then we moved to Vancouver in Canada and then Montreal. And that's where I went to high school. And then I went to school after that. And left. You came down to Sarah Lawrence. I went to Sarah Lawrence, yeah. And that. Which is and a pricey proposition, though. It is a pricey proposition. But mm-hmm. I, my feeling about it is that I saved my dad an enormous amount of money by dropping out yeah, two sure. years early. Doing, doing they did not favor. see it that way at the time. Um, you know, I was sitting there sort of being like, you're welcome. Um, now, you did that because reason, you were performing at the time? or what? Was I just, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew kind of how I wanted to go about it. I From when I was 13 years old, I started going to... Um, this like fine and performing arts camp in Connecticut uh-huh. for rich kids uh, and started doing sketch comedy when I was like 13. And uh, going back even before that in Vancouver, I was really into like street performing and stuff and, and clowning and like juggling and unicycling and that kind of stuff. And when I went and to like a like 10 and 11, like my 10th birthday, I got a unicycle for my birthday. That was my big my big wish. Oh, yeah. I read like in your bio or something, something yeah. about uh, how it's unfortunate for a high schooler who rides a unicycle yeah, to school. Yeah, it was like... really awesome for me. <laughs> I, I, I clicked into that right before Man. you're supposed to like yeah. start getting into boys if, and if stuff. Just a message to the younger listeners. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be the coolest kid in high school, definitely, definitely well, and show I wore up on a unicycle. My brothers, I wore all of my brother's old like suit jackets and fedoras. and Oh, he didn't have fedoras. I had my own fedoras. Uh-huh. But I like dressed like a rat packer and rode a unicycle. It was very... Did the, you at least the boys have a group? were lining up. Did you have a group? Um, I did, but not that kind of group. Okay. It was just like the you know my friends in high in elementary school. I was fine. Uh, in high school, I was sort of in that group that wasn't in a group. Yeah, you know, yeah, like sure. I wasn't one of the stoners, and I wasn't one of the nerds, and I wasn't one of the super rich, popular girls. Nobody could make any sense out of you. Yeah, I but I also you know did not ride my unicycle to school at that point. I sort of traded it in for like ripped corduroy pants and a nose ring and stuff like that. All right, yeah. But I continued to go to my summer camp uh, when I was 13, 14, 15, 16. I ended up teaching there. And that was really where I discovered... Teaching. Improv. Like even 13, what, at 13, uh, you were teaching? When I, when I was like 15 and 16, I was a CIT, a counselor in training. We had classes that we taught and we directed Oh, because it is comedy. for children. There's a lot yeah. of children there. Uh, not really. But it's like 13 to 17. Okay. Now there's younger kids. But yeah, by the time I was 16, I was writing and directing sketch comedy and had met uh, two very good friends of mine, Adam and Dave. And uh, uh, and we just at that time were like, this is what we're going to do. And that was the end of it. And so, so, the, so the, it was more it was more performance that was in your blood. Uh, both. We were we were writing a lot and performing a lot and kind of like vaguely like teaching ourselves how to improvise. So we were huge nerds um, the year 
after. You say there was such pain. <laughs> no, no, it was great. The year, okay, the year we did not go back to camp, we didn't go back because we all decided we're going to go to New York. We're going to sublet a friend's apartment and we're all going to do stand up for the summer. And we were 17, I think, and did stand up for the summer in New York, living in this studio of apartment of our friend Erica's, who we knew was at camp. And so we spent the summer kind of like, Jeez, you know, 17 years old. What, slinging, slinging coffee what and trying to do stand up. 97. Okay. So I was, yeah, 17 ish and uh, started doing stand up. I also had this thing in my head that was this, this why not bug where I would just, I would just went to stand up in New York. I was like, what do I need to do to get stage time? And yeah, went to right. Catch a Rising Star, which was still around at the time. Yeah. There, like, well, there's, there's the typical naivete of someone who goes there yeah. and just is like, like, so um, who do I, where do I sign up to go on stage? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it wasn't so much that as it was nothing to lose. And the fact that my brother was already into comedy made it much more tangible to me. Like, oh, the people who are up there with the microphone are people Normal who decided people. Yeah, to okay. go do right, that. Right. And, you know, that's something I owe a huge debt of gratitude to my brother for, you know, without knowing it, kind of showing me like, this is something you can do that's real. I like the idea, though, that in, in seeing Eric do it, the, your, the conclusion is like, Oh, so you don't have to be even remotely extraordinary to, <laughs> to pull this off. Oh, so any asshole can just, ha, there's just a sign-up sheet. Okay. Oh, yeah, but my brother be. also, you know, was doing it from when he was, I think, 19. He got his first real writing job, maybe even younger. So it was always something that was like, oh, that's available to people. Right. Um, and, you know, he was a huge influence of mine from very early on, even though I also had my summer camp where I was able to really like explore it on my own. And my brother and I are very different comedy writers and have very different sensibilities that overlap in a lot of the same places. But I certainly wouldn't have the the balls to kind of be like, yes, hi, I'll be performing after Judy Gold this evening. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people would. No. Not, not if they no. know how what Judy can do. And, and I, that summer when I was 17 years old, I got to see so many unbelievable, at that time I was really, really wanted to do stand up, you know, stand up was sort of my first love. And I don't know when I decided I had to go to Chicago to do Second City. I think that, you know, you don't study or get nerdy about comedy for very long before you stumble across Second City and realize like, oh, well, that's where I need to be. And that was before UCB. You know, in 11th grade, I was living in Montreal and we did a tour, a Shakespeare tour with the Merry Wives of Windsor through the Midwest, our big tour to like Evanston and whatever. And so we were in Evanston, not allowed to go to Chicago. And I had never been to Second City and knew it was there. And I was like, well, fuck, if they think I'm not going to go to Second City while I'm in Chicago from the for the first time. And so I snuck out and I went to a Second City show and... That was that. I mean, I was just like, that's what I have to do. I was the, it was Citizen Gates with Scott Adds that was in it and Rachel Dratch. And, uh, you know, seeing that show was just like, well, that's the end of that conversation. You know, like yeah, it just, right. it was just like, I have to I'm be able done to with do that. Else. I have to be able to do that, which it, right, I just had to do it. And then I got back from sneaking out and my, the escorts from our school are my art teacher, my theater teacher, you know, were like waiting arms crossed my friend Graham and I who snuck out together and were very pissed off and it was this moment of just like hey you know what if you're gonna get upset with me for sneaking out to see theater on a theater trip go for it like it was this moment of just like I'm right here you're wrong yeah I'm I'm, gonna do that I'm not bar crawling yeah exactly I'm gonna go do that so if you know call my parents go for it. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was a good moment for me. It's one of my favorite little stories of, you know, striking out on my you know, own. It's romantic to really be able to pinpoint those moments where mm-hmm. you're that whole idea of like, I want to do that. Yeah. And my, my, my college essay to get into Sarah Lawrence was about why I wanted to work at second city. And then I ultimately ended up working at second city. So it was this really nice sort of circular thing where I actually got to do that. Right. Um, and in between, you know, I went to Sarah Lawrence, met Jordan there. We started, you know, by our second year, all we, we sat in my room and we smoked weed and kind of taught ourselves how to improvise because we didn't really, we were in a comedy class, but didn't, it was pre-UCB. We didn't really have like 
guidance. Mm-hmm. So we would sit in my room and be like, okay, you've been alone on a desert island for four years. Go, you know. But without any, teach did, ourselves did you know it. the kind of sort of parameters? Yeah, and we, you know, there was like our, the class that we were in and there was impro and there were the, the books that you read okay, and yeah. we vaguely, you know, had that. Um, and we had, certainly had our heroes. But there wasn't the curriculum that exists now with Upright Citizens Brigade mm-hmm. um, and even, you know, Improv Olympic, which did have that sort of school in place. We hadn't been there yet. And so the year between the summer in between my freshman and sophomore year at Sarah Lawrence, I spent the summer in Chicago uh, interning at Second City, taking classes and so on. And when I got back to Sarah Lawrence, uh, brought some of that to my comedy treatment was like, I've been to Chicago for three Jordan months. Still there with you. Then? I'm an expert now. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. gather follow around, me. Children. Yeah, exactly. Mother's gonna teach I took you two and a half classes at second city. I think city. I've got this down. Everybody take a seat. Uh, so, <laughs> you spit out your yeah, gum. Yeah. And Jordan and I just, just, you know, fell in comedy love and just could not stop writing together. And Jordan is, you know, the most laid back chill dude on earth. And, and the conversation was as it was this word for word, but it was as simple as this, where I said, I think I'm going to not come back to school next year and go to Chicago and 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 see what I can do. Do you want to come? And he and it was as easy, basically, as sure. Let me get my let me get my stuff. I mean, he was just, you know, like, yeah, let's go. Like, yeah, he, like then you turn around and say, sure. And he's already got a yeah, backpack. Like and a bunch of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so he and I took off for Chicago, did a two-person show called Two White Guys that yeah, got us a lot of attention and, <laughs> you know, did a lot of racial stuff and sexuality stuff and could kind of get away with anything because between the two of us, we're sort of representing one, of, it, one of everything. Of <laughs> and uh, our shows were great, and we kind of were these, like, 19-year-old, you know, like, nothing can stop us now kind of kids. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's, let's take a little break. And sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get into, into two that. guys. Yeah, sure. and then we'll get into, uh, you know, you moving on into getting a, a writing job. Sure. And, uh, um, and eventually get into uh, Key and Peele and how that sure. goes down. And, uh, and you can tell us uh, um, how to write sketches. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Sure. I'll right, go we'll figure be... out how to. And then yeah. I <laughs> just looked that up. We'll be right yeah. back. This is J.R. Havlin. This is Writer's Block, and that is uh, Rebecca Drysdale. Stick around. Just so I make sure I remind you of this, season four of Key and Peel is returning to Comedy Central starting this fall, by which I mean fall 2014. And in the event you're listening to this in the distant future, having found it in a questionably stocked time capsule. Up next... Drawing inspiration from likely and unlikely places, a life-changing trip to Amsterdam, and an even life-changinger trip to the Aspen Comedy Festival. You're listening to Writer's Block Podcast with my guest, the lovely and talented Rebecca Drysdale. All right. Here we are. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for not leaving. I think you did yourselves a favor because we're about to get schooled. Shit's about to get real. Shit's about to get real. We were talking about uh, you running away to improv yeah. world land. and, and uh, It was awesome. Guys... Uh, you know, Jordan and I went to Chicago. We lived in this shitty little apartment. And all we did was write. And it was now, what are you the writing? best. What are you writing? We wrote a sketch show and then another one as two white guys. And uh, we, you know, that's probably the most, you know sunk in my teeth have ever been into like a project because part of it was like we're gonna show them you know we're gonna do a show we're gonna, we're gonna set the world on their ear yeah <laughs> you know we're gonna like set this town on fire yeah totally Chicago. and no, we wait, did not that kind of fire yeah, yeah. don't yeah. worry it's don't, not again you can't say that in Chicago. <laughs> um and we did and it was awesome and you know we didn't have this sense of like who the hell do you think we are we just did it and um you know, Jordan is, as you, as everyone knows, you know, one of the most talented performers and writers, period. And, you know, we really just learned from each other and pushed ourselves and wanted everything we wrote to be better than the last thing that we wrote. And without really knowing it, we had a voice together and, and it was great. It was a blast. And we were both so dorky about <laughs> You know, our we would sit and watch MGM musicals, and so then we ended up with a with a Donald O'Connor kind of number in our show, or we'd watch 
an action movie and we'd have a sword fight in our shit, you know, so we, we really... Your influences just coming from every single yeah, thing that you did. we just loved... No matter what you saw, you wanted to turn that into some yeah, sort of... Yeah, well, like, it's like having a holodeck, yeah. you know, and, and which is the real joy of sketch. And, and especially sketch on stage because of the challenge of figuring out, well, how do we create this on stage we did With a, a, on a bare stage in yeah. Other words, yeah and we you know one of our first sketches was about was you know we we <laughs> were both obsessed with glory as a movie mm-hmm. and one of our first sketches was about you know the the one soldier the one black soldier to fight with the south in the civil war <laughs> and so we had this sort of challenge of you know we wanted to recreate this genre and we used had the music and the sort of the narrated letter writing and the whole business but figuring out like how do we create this sort of sweeping epic movie atmosphere with two of us on a bare stage with crappy lighting performance yeah like how do you get to the audience to see what you're supposedly seeing yeah and that's and and it really taught me how to like look for you know archetypes and tropes and and pull out sort of like these are the things that you need to convey X, Y, Z, you know, if we're doing an action movie or we're doing uh, an MGM musical or whatever. Um, and Jordan and I, that was our, our favorite th- thing and still is. Yeah. And uh, Key and Peele is somewhere, you know, if you've seen the show, it's very cinematic. We do a lot of genre based things. And so we still really get to like play in that in that space a lot, except for now we get, you know, yeah, I mean, production. the first thing, the, the, the Les Mis thing yeah. comes to mind and now just... You know, one of the great things about the show is how you can compartmentalize it and, you know, you guys probably get as much viewership online and just watching a certain sketch than yeah. you do watching the actual show. But that's still a good thing. Oh, yeah. Well, when we when the show started, it was all about, you know, we have to have a really significant web presence because that's where the traffic's going to come from. And then in season three, it was sort of like, oh, we got to remind people this is a TV show. So there were a lot, there was a, really a lot of like promotional work that went towards driving traffic to the actual show because there were people who didn't even know it was a show. So, well, yeah. but before, before you got there, before they did their thing and then called you in, mm-hmm. you were, you know, I mean, doing various things, you're teaching improv, you went back to New York, uh, um, you know, we don't have to get too deep into it, but I wanted just to get in, uh, to the first writing gig you got, sure. which, uh, well, um, be- and, and how, how you... How you ended up getting that and why and was there a, a specific effort? What was the process? How did you submit anything? That kind of stuff. Well, I, uh, when I, uh, Jordan and I, after Chicago got shipped off to Boom Chicago, which is an uh, American style, quote unquote, comedy theater in Amsterdam, uh, which is a sketch theater and where, which was my first so you paying were job. Yeah, I lived okay. there for a year, which was the worst and best year of my life. Um there was never just a day that was like, okay, it was either the worst or the best thing ever. Really? Um, I you mean, I've, because of performing? You no, know, like- I was 20 and I had never, because because I was so focused when I was like 14 to 18, when everyone else was like learning how to drink and give blowjobs, I was writing. Yeah. So when I went to Amsterdam, so I lost my mind. Yeah, I went to a blowjob <laughs> academy. Class. I took a class. Yeah, no, that ship had already sailed by that point. But um. <laughs> Uh, the blowjob ship, uh-huh. the good ship blowjob, blowy job. Um, uh, no, but I just had never let go, and so I got to Amsterdam, and it was like the you know the Donkey Island and Pinocchio, where it was. I just went crazy. <laughs> I went crazy. I did a ton of e and a ton of mushrooms, and I just was fucking every. It was not a healthy time, but it was also a blast. I also learned how to party and let go, which is uh-huh. enormously you know important. I think uh, now that I've learned how to kind of. Can't learn mm-hmm. how to pull back until you learn how to let exactly. go. Exactly, um, which yeah, it was it was took me a long time to piece myself back together from that experience. But <laughs> when I left, I started working at Second City. I started touring with their touring company for about a year, and then got hired on a main stage there, and which was an amazing experience. And, and who were you working with there? Uh, Frank Cayetti, who was on Mad TV after that. Matt Craig, um, but when I started on a main stage at Second City, I went in for Keegan. Because we are the same type. But I took over a lot of his parts. He was on his way out when I went in. Did you in. know him? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And um, he was leaving because he was going Mad TV where Jordan was. So I was like, oh, man, when you get to Mad, you got to hook up with my 
with my bro. Right, right, because they didn't know each other. Yeah, they didn't know each other. Um, And they they, were writing there? They were on the show. Oh, okay. And they actually credit me with introducing them, which I did not, but I'll take it. And uh, so they started working together on Mad, which is just like a match made in heaven. So at Second City, um, when the Aspen Comedy Festival was still happening, they sent someone to Chicago and asked, you know, who do you have on a stage right now that does solo work or wants to do a showcase and so myself and i think two or three other people did a showcase and i ended up going to aspen with a one-person show and that's when everything exploded and actually eric was at aspen that year and i did four pieces of a one-person show i was sharing an hour with flight of the concords and i was asked two days in to do Catherine o'hara's show uh she did like a late night show that was sort of like the biggest stars of the festival peppered in with all these nobodies and so the show was like the running order was like hand-picked nobodies hand-picked nobodies well they they just kind of left it open to see sort of like who was sort of making waves over the course of the festival and then they threw them into this show so the running order was something insane it was like eugene levy Catherine o'hara fred willard cheech and chong for the first time in 20 years and then rebecca drysdale (laughs) so no pressure um, and it was, you know, there's no oxygen there anyway. So whatever panic attack you're already having is compounded <laughs> by the fact that you can't breathe. Right. And I did this song called Who the Fuck Is That? Because I was so aware of like, everyone comes okay, to this yeah. show because they know the big stars are going to be in it. And then who the hell is this kid? So the song was basically just addressing that. And I, and I, you know, made it this big singing and dancing number, forgetting that I wasn't going to have any oxygen. So when I got off stage, I was like huffing and puffing and sucking on this oxygen tank. They actually had one? Yeah, all behind backstage at all of the venues, they had oxygen. Oh, that's hilarious. So I did this number and I like blacked out at some point halfway through because I was also <laughs> like, this is it. This is the moment, you know. And um, I'm sucking on oxygen, and the first thing I hear is, hey, man, great job. That was really funny. And I look up, and it's Cheech and Chong being like, hey, great show. So I'm already in this just surreal, crazy world. This can't be I, happening I get, right Yeah, now. I get backstage, <laughs> and it's like out. Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, Jeff Garland, Fred Willard, Eric. So that's also just like, and, you know, and my brother was there. Um, the Concords, <laughs> Dimitri Martin, <coughs> Janine Garofalo. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, Judy Gold, Paula Poundstone, they were all in this show. And you so were there? Got, the yeah, there. yeah. It was so to, and then my brother being like, grumpy in the corner it was so surreal and it was so overwhelming and everyone was sort of like kind of bum rushed me and janine garofalo came up to me and was like hey do you need to get out of here do you need to have a cigarette like she was my friend i had met her when i was like 16 but she came up to me like she's my friend at the party she's you know Mm -hmm. but it was still like holy shit i'll hold your hair back yeah exactly and she like snuck me off into some hallway to have a cigarette and it was insane to me (laughs) yeah insane to me let me finish this oxygen then way too much breathing going on right now um so that was just this insane thing where i'm like what what crazy situation in it is it that Janine Garofalo is the person that I'm like, thank you, old friend, for taking me out of this crazy star study. I knew situation. I could count on you. Um, so Aspen sort of made everything go crazy. I had it was sort of wined and dined and shipped all over the place and courted by managers and agents and all right. these things and was the like you know comedy innovator of the year and Variety's top this and you know whatever. It was it was crazy. It was like four months. I didn't buy a meal for myself. And kind of had my pick of the litter in terms of like agencies and managers and had to really kind of give myself a crash course in what that was all about. And Mm -hmm. that led to a development deal with HBO. And there were there was insane phone calls like, do you want to audition for SNL or do you want an HBO development? Like it was crazy. Like your choices are both. I mean, insane. And I had never I certainly had not put in my time up to that point to like learn anything about the business. I didn't know the difference between a studio or a network or a production company or a manager or an agent. You didn't know that that doesn't make any difference. Right. (laughs) Yeah, now I've I've gone full circle. I still don't know. Um, But it was really overwhelming and really crazy. I had like a sushi lunch with Steve Martin. It was insane. And uh, which is a whole other podcast worth of story. But um, I mean, it was just a very surreal, crazy time. But I ended up doing this deal at HBO. And uh, which was really, really great and really exciting for about six months. I got a big fat paycheck. I moved myself to New York. We got myself a dog and some cool toys to play with. Life begins. 
Uh, yeah, the and then the it and then it just ended as quickly because mm, it totally. ended up just being waiting, you know. And um, I had done a podcast with Jenny Garofalo actually on her show on Air America, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I've been, you know, I've been down this this road. You know, you'll get a development deal, then nothing will happen, and another one will happen." And in my head, I was kind of like, "All right, well, you know, we'll see," which is of course exactly what happened. But um, <laughs> you know, HBO, which I then came to know as HB Slow. Uh, just, you know, they're not on a schedule, so they can take as long as they want to uh-huh. give you notes or not. And, uh, you know, one You were year, handing stuff into them. I mean, you're saying- I wrote like, a I'm pilot gonna... that I was going to star in. Was it a scripted show? Yes. Okay. And then uh, one year turned into two years. And by that time, I Are was they giving just you even? Miserable. Did they get back to you with any notes at all? Or was... After about a year, when I handed in the actual pilot itself, my- How long was the deal for? It was a year. Okay. But it just kept- Take them, It took just them that long going. to give you your notes back. I didn't- Honestly, I didn't even- I handed in a treatment. They loved it. It was like everybody at HBO is like having lunches about how great your p- treatment is. Mm-hmm. And then I handed in the pilot and they were like, ooh, this is going to be a big rewrite, which to me at the time meant another year. And so I just said, I'm done, which may have been the dumbest thing I've ever done. But uh, I just did, I couldn't do it anymore. I was just in such a bad place. And then the writer's strike happened. So I had a couple things that died in the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I was just like, I need to not do this anymore. And uh, I moved to L.A. for like 20 minutes as a, like a last <laughs> stitch effort, which is not a great place to go if you're really depressed. Yeah, and uh, desperate for Left work. almost as quickly and went back to New York. I had like $1,800 for like a month's rent Sweet. and a plane ticket. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, it's funny because you hear like stories about like Madonna had like twenty nine dollars when she moved to New York, but mm-hmm. at that time eighteen hundred dollars was twenty nine dollars. Yeah, right. Um, and then I just started teaching improv and uh, ended up moving into that loft yeah, where I created you know, my apartment superpowers uh, and started teaching. And kind of before I knew it, had this school that I had accidentally started, Which and is I was. Called- it wasn't called. It was okay, just like just my classes. Okay, yeah. But, you know, I was teaching three or four nights a week and found this really great community and and started improvising. And I had never been a good improviser ever um, and started finding more confidence never in that. never been a good improviser no. ever. This is after the whole Second oh, City yeah. thing, though, and the touring. And second City, oh, yeah. So I mean, I was that... very much there, I think, because I was a is good that writer. Is purely I... improvising? No, no, it was oh, sketch. sketch. Okay. And then the improv sets after the shows were free. Even, even with the uh, I mean, I learned the a lot there. That you that you and Peel gave yourself? Oh, yeah. that <laughs> I just wasn't good at it. And it broke my heart. When Jordan and I were in Chicago before that, we hosted at Second City, meaning like we cleaned up puke and showed people where their seats were and uh-huh. whatever. And so I got to watch night after night after night of, of these unbelievable, I mean, the best improvisers in the world, mm-hmm. like Kevin Dorff and Stephanie Weir and, you know, these masters TJ Jagodowski, you know, just people that you you look at them and it's like, well, there's simply no way I'll be able, ever be yeah, able to right, do that. Right. But it was the most unbelievable textbook because I was there every night uh, just watching these <clears throat> same people be amazing over and over again. And it was really very heartbreaking because I just simply couldn't do it. And I was never good at it part of which part of that was because i didn't put in my five or six years at io or in chicago before i worked at second city because i just went sarah lawrence boom second city i never really got to improvise that much i was on a herald team at improv olympic for six months before i went to boom uh which was mostly short form improv so i could improvise the hell out of a reggae song but i you know my my improv my improv was never good yeah um, and so when I started improvising in New York more regularly with people who were way better improvisers than I was, uh, that's when my improv started to improve and I found sort of some peace and realized, you know, I've been doing this since I was 14 or I've known I've wanted to do it since I was 14. I've been, and that's all I've wanted to do. And all I did was write and go to Chicago and all that stuff. And in the meantime, my skills as a human being had been completely ignored and so i found myself being 26 27 years old and not knowing how to be a person you know um because my my person building skills years were spent writing or trying to get stage time or or moving to chicago or whatever and in the meantime like i had all these terrible relationships and i'd hurt you know been just awful 
not someone you wanted to be in a relationship at that time, uh, in a relationship with at that, you know, just awful things because I just hadn't become <laughs> a person. What's we'll talk that? about that another oh, yeah, yeah, part two. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just not all just a personal. Yeah. Don't date me at 22 is the advice. <laughs> Um, don't go in a time machine. Yeah, if you're do in a time machine, don't, oh my God. don't tell me, and it was very, don't date me yeah, at 22 no. and don't tell don't me that me instead you're going to go back in time and kill Hitler. 19 and three years ago, don't yeah. date me. Um, and it was very painful and, and very sad. And, uh, and this was sort of this, you know, now we're sort of in the 2008 to 2011 years where I finally was like developing my human being skills and my career went away. <laughs> So yeah, it was well, like yeah, at some point I got right. At some point I <laughs> need to figure proof. out how to have both. Right. You know, but it was that during that time where I met my fiance and I had my dog and my life started to feel and good you got to the, me. Your job. You got your yeah. Job and so the Well, let's 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 come back and talk about that. Yeah. Uh we'll be right back with Rebecca Drysdale. Writer's block getting deep. Mm. But it's super interesting stuff, and it kind of shows you how adversity and the way you handle your life outside of your work can either hurt or help you with your work, depending on how you process it all and deal with it. Hey, what a great time to mention that if you're not following the podcast on Twitter, you should. At Writer's Block Pod. And tell your friends. While you're at it, try at J.R. Havlin. I heard he's hilarious. And at Beck Dries, B-E-C-K-D-R-Y-S. That's Rebecca Drysdale, in case you didn't figure it out. And email us at writersblockpodcast at gmail.com with questions and comments. I actually answer them slash take them to heart. Now let's move on to what it's like working on Key and Peel. Spoiler alert, it's amazing. I'll let Rebecca tell you the rest. Okay, so I want to talk now about um, Key and Peel. Sure. Uh, we'll skip over you. Well, we can very quickly address the fact that your very first paid to write for television gig was for a show called the big gay sketch show it was and that was uh through the aftermath of the uh of the, of the whole aspen thing it was sort of my manager being like you need to go do know something. what it feels like to be in a writer's room right. and uh, um and that was in new york yes not the greatest experience you, you were the the show um, was in, just in a, a lot of ways it was because it was a very uh it was a great place for me to like learn mm -hmm. um, because it was very clear what the mandate was for the show. It was very sort of like you can go here <clears throat> and you can go here and you can't go here. And so it was really my first experience learning how to kind of squeeze my voice into a specific shape, mm -hmm. which is the skill that you Were need you a performer no matter what. Well? No, not on the okay. show. No, um, it was not a hard job. It was not a stressful job, but it was hard because it, it, for me, you know, who is a gay person who doesn't really particularly care about talking about that very much mm -hmm. or, you know, making things that have much to do with that, though I have, um, it, it was a good, but to have to focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. On something that I don't think is funny or, you yeah, know what right, I mean? Right, it's right, not right. something that I particularly care be about. Gay and, right. Yeah, right. Maybe not always um, in a good way or organically. Or right. But the experience of sort of like, this is my voice and this is the, 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 the circular hole I need to shove it into and how to do that <laughs> in a very kind of like chill space. Um, and so in that way, it was a great experience. Mm -hmm. uh, it's certainly not my favorite show I've ever seen. But you, you, um, you, but they you also began, to, you began to learn how to take your your own thoughts and and uh, um, and, and whereas you might, if given your own druthers, you know, write this sketch, you realized that's not right for the thing that I'm working on, right. and I need to channel this and and direct it more into yes. this specific and still show. And have it be good. something that's an important thing to be absolutely. Able to do. I mean, that is the job, yeah, you know. Right. Um, until you have your own show and you're calling all the shots and and also being able to do that and end up with something I'm still really proud yeah, of right you know within this tiny sort of overlap of the Venn diagram creating work that I still feel really good about mm -hmm. and the things I wrote on that show I really like yeah you know is it the sketch show I would write if someone handed me a sketch show probably not but that's neither here nor there, you know, it also taught me how to go to work every day and sit at a desk and generate material, which I had never done. Um, this is again, this is, this is the, yeah, this is, this is the, the evolution of the, of Rebecca Drysdale becoming human. <laughs> human, <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, going to 57th and 10th every day, which, which was right near you guys. Yeah. 
And, you know, just sitting at a desk and banging it out. I don't even remember where the hell we were. Well, so you do that for, uh, you know, how... Two seasons I did. Two seasons. Uh, Was it soon after that that, uh, uh, like, Jordan calls you and says, hey, we got this thing, will you come with us? No, I think that's when I moved to L.A. for those weird seven or eight months. We can skip over it. Yeah. I want to to get the key and peel. Um, And then I did the whole, like, teaching improv and whatever, and that... Somewhere in there, Jordan was visiting. I didn't even know they were shooting a pilot. It was uh, our a friend of ours from Boom Chicago, Matt Jones, on Facebook, had a post being like, on set of the Key and Peele pilot. And I called Jordan. I was like, what pilot? <laughs> like, I didn't... Not have, you be- been in t- have you been out of touch a little no, bit? No, he's just, he's, just, he's just not a, like person who's like we got a pilot like you know he just kind of goes yeah, about also, his business like yeah and, and it's probably a good idea to be reserved about the potential even yeah, having gotten he, your pilot you we don't had know not lived in the sure same thing. city for years yeah. at that point so it wasn't like we were checking checking so in fu- every day you find out through so Facebook. i found out and i and i, <laughs> I, I, I think up, i texted him or email and i was like ah congrats on your pilot dude <laughs> Um, and he's like, thanks. You know, it's just everything. He's just very chill. It's not even so much like, oh, I don't want to make it a thing or whatever. He's just, he's just so laid back. that would be like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We out of a pilot going on. Forgot to tell you. (laughs) Um, and then he was in town in New York. I was DJing a party in New York and he came and it was that right. I think either at that party or like that day that they found out they were picked up. And so, you know, it was sort of like this sort of like, and of course, you know, you were invited to write on this show and uh, had a couple of phone calls with our showrunners, Jay Martell and Ian Roberts, uh, to just make sure I wasn't a total dolt. And uh, and then I came out here for the first season and uh, stayed in the uh, Lisa Henson's pool house. So did you guys pull any of your old sketches out of the We did. Trying to think what in the first season. So you're like, remember when we were 17 and we did that thing? We could probably do yeah. it better right now. Let's try. Well, Les Mis was a sketch that I've been writing over and over again since I was 13. Oh yeah. That I was yeah, like, right. one day I'm gonna have you know the money. I'm oh well, put that must be a fun this. thing to watch. And it was, it was fucking because the great the well the, the super helpful thing is that the movie came out. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, now yeah, I yeah. can do this and I can kind of pretend that it's like yeah. because that happened, or at least I think it helped to get the sketch. Sure. On. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it know, makes it it, it yeah, makes it that much it more. It ties current. it to something sure. going on, which I was like, hey, I would have written this thing no matter what. Um, I don't remember what was ours that oh the uh, uh the knee graph sketch. I don't know if you've seen that. No. It's 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 a chart that tells you when you're allowed to say the n word. No, um, it's like a tool that in our sketch show was when you're allowed, like as a white person. Yeah. Like depending on the, the tone of your skin, when you're allowed to say it, okay. no, you're never allowed to say it as a white person. <laughs> That's at the um, zero. That's where it starts. It, it was a stage bit that we then turned into like a commercial for an app on the show. Um, <laughs> We tried, uh, we had this 9-11 sketch that was in our show that... Good idea. That Solid we, Yeah, start. yeah, that I, I think like was too early. See, it was not this a season on one sketch. It was not a season one sketch, we'll just say that. Yeah. But part of it, too, was, you know, we were talking about sort of squeezing your voice into the mandated voice of mm-hmm. what, wherever you're working. And part of the challenge there, too, was what is the difference between a two white guys sketch and a Key and Peele sketch? You know, the material that Jordan and I worked on versus what Comedy Central and what Jordan and Keegan wanted this show to be. Uh, and that took a while for us to figure out as a ca- as a staff anyway, you know, like what is the voice of this show and... Um, a lot of the writers coming from improv backgrounds and Keegan and Jordan coming from improv and, and letting that be a part of the process, which is awesome. And I mean, we just couldn't have a more chill writing environment, you know. Well, you... explain that. Explain that to me. I mean, tell me sort of an outline of uh, sure. of an average day. Um, um, an average day now, you know, the first season, it was sort of like we were sort of figuring it out. Uh, a little bit as we went and it was different though I don't really remember how it worked that season we were in a different office it's like a whole other separate thing Uh Um, now usually the day starts with a two-hour meeting where we just kind of bat ideas around someone will pitch an idea everyone else will say oh yeah what about this what about this what about this Um, you're expected to bring some in yeah or not 
Okay. I mean, it's again, yeah. it's just so relaxed. It helps. Or to you're bring welcome. Material for yeah, the show or you're, you're writing welcome for. to sit there and be like, you know what? I'm 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 cracking some other ideas, or I have a bunch of stuff backlogged that I want to work on. There's no, there's never an expectation that you bring in a thing that, you know, and and and, and those meetings are even more so for things like, you know, I have this just nugget of a thing. You know, if it's like, I just want Jordan and Keegan to be in uh, top hat and tails. What do you got? You know, things that are really unformed. But you're also more than welcome to be like, I'm good for the day. I have an idea that I want to just work on. And Jordan and Keegan. Then you're still batting around the other ideas. Yeah, and you're helping everyone else out. And sometimes those conversations just evolve into just conversations about whatever's going on in the world or you know, recently talking a lot about, you know, Woody Allen or Phillips or Hoffman or gun control. Or we will just explode into just a big talk. Um, and it, and once they, in a while. Per- is there normally some purpose to those? I mean, you never get too far off. I mean, because let's say you have an idea or you say, oh, like the, the you know, I want them to be in a top hat and tails. Uh-huh. Well, then. Which, by the say, way, don't pitch that. Yeah. Well, but the, you know, the the feeling is that if that's thrown out there, then you know, you, it might start off a conversation about like, well, okay, what, what do you, what comes to mind for you mm-hmm. when somebody's in top hat and tails, what are they doing? Well, who mm-hmm. is that person? Right. And get that so that whatever your sketch ends up being has this underlying right. like emotional real completely element. completely the other way where you'll say something, I really want to do something about how stardom is destroying our youth and then package it from the outside. Right, You right, know, right, so yes. either way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a group of people who are never, I don't think I've ever once in that room heard anyone say like, I don't see how that's going to work or there's nothing there. I mean, we will sit there and talk about it until there's something there. Well, you're and working with a bunch of improv. It's a bunch so it's of yes anders. Yes and, yeah, yeah right. totally. And, and and it's really usually up to us to be like, you know what? I'm going to kill this. You know, like usually oh, wow, things will, you know, I hate my even, idea you know, even if something just doesn't work at a table read, people will sit there and be like, well, what if we did this? What if we did this? And it's usually us as a writer if we if we're just like you know what I'm over this and I don't even care to fix it anymore that we're able to just be like I'd rather just kill this and work on other things that I think have legs right, more more so right. than this so it's a really creatively it's insane you know any any pressure or creative difficulty that I have at that job is completely self imposed um, there's never a sense of like you know well, what but the work still gets done i mean you know there's, oh yeah there's, you, you, because you know, we're kept happy you know because right. we're kept you know we our day is very short um people are allowed to go audition for things people are allowed to pursue their other projects and so there's this sense that you know we're very valued and we write 40 times as much stuff as we need right, right. because we're not we don't feel chained to our desks mm. you know we can write by ourselves we can sit and write with another writer we can you know s- stand outside smoking cigarettes batting around you know some all of us improvising on some song and then someone will be like i'm going to write that up um but it's a very um it's as close to a bunch of friends hanging out coming up with bits as it can be yeah. on a real TV show. And I'm, and I'm super lucky. And, and, and within that being so spoiled that I now feel kind of like, okay, I'm ready for whatever is next creatively, yeah. which is just the most insanely privileged position to be in, yeah, right. to be at key and peel where I have so much creative freedom and start to feel like antsy, you know, I've got to get out of uh, yeah, here. Oh God. You're choking me. Uh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> And it's awesome because everyone on the show is working on a million other things, including Jordan and Keegan and, you know, and, and Janie and our showrunners. And people feel very um, allowed to be working on their own on their own stuff. So it's a great environment for that. So the uh, just so that we get through the idea of like how the show goes down, sure. you you do have these ideas. Once you pick them out, then are there a couple of people that are assigned to a certain thing and you would no, be that person? The thing that you pitched, you know, if you still are into it. By the end of the meeting, which usually goes for two hours, you go and sit and write it and do rewrites on some other thing that you get notes on. Right. And, you know, throughout the day, um, sketch other sketches that you've handed in, they'll be reading through and come back and be like, hey, let's turn this into this or let's fix it this way. And, and then they, rewrite so they, it. Have, so they have this pile and they pick the ones they're going to mm-hmm. do and then they go ahead and they I mean, shoot usually, them. Is the show set up? 
did, did they we did they write say, and like, then they shoot okay so, that so you, we write so, so it's not like we just you do a bunch of sketches and you decide okay these ones are going to go on this show this show is set no yeah oh. we write a whole bunch of stuff right. and then very late in the writing process they start to kind of sort things out yeah. and you know we're we're so lucky and that our biggest problem is we have too much stuff yeah, right. and but every once in a while also i would imagine that there's like a, um okay you guys go out and write the uh, you know we let's do another valet thing so yes. let's, let's get well let's, and those so are like colton dunn who's one of our writers uh that was actually the first the liam neeson's one the very first one of those was the first the very first sketch that was written of the whole series and colton like just sat down at his desk and farted it out and we were all like what is this and it ended up being this you know huge popular thing so colton writes those yeah. um wow. and then there are certain things that have become reoccurring characters that we're all very aware of sort of who originated those yeah, ideas right. but they're also sort of things that are like you know what i have an idea for these guys or i right. have an idea for this character that we all kind of can bat around or share um i write samuel and Lashawn, who are the gay couple who are based on a real couple i, I mm. saw in new york when gay marriage was legalized there um but there's not a lot of um sort of like that's my you know there's not a lot of like ego and ownership yeah, it's right. very much like oh i have an idea for me again but or normally if it is your this. original idea you end up working on yeah. it in some way yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but it, but it's not so much a sign like we'll have meetings where it's like you know we we this sketch killed last season if somebody has a great idea for this character great um but it's not sort of like on the board like uh, in a checklist of any kind you know we don't try and really force that stuff you know sometimes someone will write a sketch that has nothing to do with any of the characters that we've established and we'll sit there and be like oh that could be Wendell or that could be oh, okay. the gay so guys or right, yeah right, yeah right. like oh that this could easily be the substitute could teacher use that playing premise this game within yeah, here totally yeah. oh and the substitute teacher my god Jesus yeah. Christ is that it's one of the funniest touch. things ever um let's uh let's wrap it up so sure. um uh, I, I i really appreciate your time thank you very much no, you're um, welcome I... and i should i should mention by the way that those are not sound effects we're the doors open and the birds are they're accepting what we're saying yeah it's they're we're in a beautiful right forest yeah with the animated birds and <laughs> yeah they just one of them just came in and put a scarf yeah, on thank me. you i can't believe that that was I so know. nice thank you guys see I you just, later i live in a fabulous little paradise world out here well um thanks for having me and uh thanks for filling us in uh I appreciate it. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Say goodnight, Rebecca. Good night. That's it, y'all. Episode 36 is in the bag. Hope you liked it. I'm always happy to get a writer from a show I haven't learned about yet. And we'll continue that trend in episode 37, coming out April 30th with guest Damian Fahey, writer for Family Guy, and a person with a hell of a story of his own. Don't miss that one. Thanks to all the usuals, and as usual, thanks to all of you for listening. Say goodnight, blockheads. <laughs> <laughs>